Uh, earlier this week, uh, I was on a Zoom call with my pastor's covenant group, my pastor's small group, in the same place in my garage that I've been on many a Zoom calls with, with many of you here in, in the sanctuary. Uh, about an hour into the call, after we spent some time checking in on one another, sharing what was going on in our own lives, in the life of our, our churches, um, I started getting antsy as we all do when we sit on those calls sometimes. I start saying, i got to move on to what's next. And I wanted to, to get up and go to whatever was next. I could hear the dog barking inside. So I said, hey, guys, i, I got to run. It's great chatting, great catching up. i got to run. And one of the other pastors said, wait, wait, wait. Before you go, how can we be praying for you? It took all of two or three minutes of each of us to share a few specific needs. In Galatians 6, Paul writes that followers of Christ are to carry one another's burdens, to pray for and to support one another. And sometimes it's one of those things that's just for whatever reason easy to forget. We get busy, we get distracted, we get antsy, and we want to jump from one thing to the next and we, we forget to ask one another, hey, how can I be praying for you? We forget to, to really take time to share one another's burdens. Throughout this series, I've come back to a, a quote from Eugene Peterson quite a bit. That quote uh, about prayer being not about doing or, or getting, but about being and becoming. That prayer really is about being and becoming the people that God has called us to be. And it's through praying for other people that we act that we act as the people of God as, and we become the church. Our second passage this morning is the section of Luke that shares what happens right after Jesus asks the disciples how to pray. One of them says, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus gives them the part of the prayer that we, we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. And then we read this. Then Jesus said, suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer them. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Over the years, I've known quite a few people who are people that I would consider to be persistent prayers. You, you might know the sort of people that I'm talking about. They're the people who, who, who say, hey, how can I pray for you? And you know it's just not talk. Right? They say, hey, how can I pray for you? And they, they, might, they might pull out a, a notebook and write it down. And you know that they are praying for you. 
I can't help but think of this, this wonderful, sweet uh, woman at my previous church who, who would often repeat these, these phrases. I'm not sure where she picked them up. One of them was, if you've made a friend of change, you've, you've made a friend for life. She would often repeat that. She, she'd carry around um, free hug cards and hand them out to people. And when she said, I'm praying for you, you knew she was praying for you. It wasn't just talk. We've got a group of folks here at WPC that I would include in that category. Folks who email around prayer requests anytime they arise, whether those requests are for people in our congregation or for people in the broader community, in our extended family. I'm guessing most of us can think of someone who we would consider to be a persistent prayer. But when I think of people who are enthusiastic to pray, I can't help but picture my friends in Malawi. Before visiting Africa for the first time, I remember hearing that the faith of people who, who live in, in Africa are, uh, is a faith that is miles wide and an inch deep, and there couldn't be anything further from the truth. It's a common misnomer we say about people in, in, in Africa. It's not true at all. I remember being shocked to hear that many of the Presbyterian churches, Presbyterian churches, held 5 a.m. prayer gatherings every single day, not just Wednesdays during Lent. Every single day they're up at 5 a.m. meeting in the church to pray. That doesn't sound to me like people whose faith is miles wide and an inch deep. They prayed. And I remember being humbled the couple of weeks that I actually woke up early enough to participate them. Our, our church in Malawi had a, a group of people, not all that different from, from the group that manages our prayer chain here. Uh, they consider themselves the intercessors. They called themselves the intercessors. There were times that they would stay up all night long during important events when something significant had happened in the world and just pray through the night. Sometimes people in this intercessory group would show up to church on Sunday morning and they would fall asleep during worship services. And at first it bothered me. And then I thought, you know what? There are definitely worse reasons to fall asleep in church on a Sunday morning. Intercessory prayer is simply lifting up the needs of those around us. Seeing the needs of those around us. Listening to the needs of those around us, and then lifting them up and trusting that the Holy Spirit is at work. Our first passage this morning that Abby read, it came from the end of James. Now, James is this kind of funny letter in some ways. It's a, 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 a letter that we might consider to be a, a public service announcement today. It's, a, it's to a broad amount of people, not just to one specific church. And uh, it was directed at Christians who were living outside of Jerusalem. Some consider it a little bit harsh because it's, it's very, very direct. The amount of imperative verbs that are used in James compared to other books of the Bible is, is way, way higher. We think of lines... Like, you can't just listen to the Word of God. You actually have to do it. And faith without works is dead. But then, when it comes to prayer here at the end of the letter, the passage that Aubrey read, 
I think that the straightforwardness, the directness is helpful. There's not a whole lot of wiggle room. If anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. If anyone is happy, let them sing songs of praise. If anyone among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. I know a lot of people struggle with it, James, but, but the clarity here is helpful. When we pray for other people, we align our hearts and our minds with what God has for the world. That's why we lift up the needs of other people. Richard Foster who's written a fairly well-known book on spiritual disciplines, also has a book on the different types of, of prayer. And when he writes on intercessory prayer, he points out that we're not only following Jesus' example when we pray for others, but we're also praying in Jesus' name. We're praying in Jesus' name, which is to say we pray in the one who interceded and continues to intercede on our behalf. It's, it's the priestly part of Jesus's identity. Foster continues, in the ongoing work of the kingdom of God, nothing is more important than intercessory prayer. People today desperately need the help that we can give them if we learn to pray on their behalf. One of the better illustrations, I think, in scripture of intercessory prayer comes from, uh, from Exodus, from Exodus chapter 17. The Israelites are in battle with the Amalekites, and Joshua is, is down in the valley leading the charge. Moses and Aaron and Hur, they go up on top of a hill to, to watch the battle take place down in the valley. And we're told that Moses, he, he raises his hands, raises his hands over the battle that's happening down below. In his hands, when they're raised, the Israelites, they're, they're winning the battle. And when they begin to drop, the Amalekites begin to win. But the intercession doesn't just stop with, with Moses interceding on behalf of those who are battling down below. When he can't hold up his arms any longer, Aaron and Hur come along and they help. They all played an important part of Israel's victory here. There are times in our lives where we are like Joshua, where we're down in the valley, where we are fighting, where we can, we can see what's in front of us. It's obvious. We're battling with something. We see it. It's there. There's others where we're like Moses, and we're praying like crazy for a loved one, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. We're, we're praying and praying and praying, and it's hard and exhausting. And then sometimes we're like Aaron and her, supporting the one who is praying and who is exhausted. Intercessory prayer is the act of holding one another up and praying that the kingdom of God would break through in the middle of very difficult situations. So when the disciples asked Jesus to pray, in that first part of Luke, where we get the Lord's prayer, he responds with essentially saying, keep it simple. He gives them a, a uh, pattern for prayer of sorts. And then he gets into these series of short stories. One about a neighbor who shows up in the middle of the night 
to help out a visitor and one about a son asking his dad for some food. Now, the arrival of the guest in the middle of the night in first century Palestine wouldn't have been all that common. It wouldn't have been all that common in Palestine. Now, it it, it also wasn't unheard of because in neighboring desert communities, it was common because people would travel at night to avoid the heat. But in in, in Palestinian area, it wasn't all that common. No matter when a guest arrived in your home in that culture, a host in that society would be expected to provide some sort of welcome. And not just a sort of kind of guarded greeting that we give when somebody knocks on our door that's unexpected and we kind of open the door to see what salesman it's going to be. Not that sort of welcome. When I think of this sort of welcome, I I can't help again but to think of Malawi. I, I read the story that Jesus tells here differently because of what Haley and I experienced while we, we lived there. When a person arrived in our home, planned or unplanned, and it was usually unplanned, we were expected at the very least to have tea and biscuits ready to go. At the very least. There were no short greetings. There were no short greetings. Each greeting, each time somebody showed up, it took at least an hour. Hospitality was incredibly important in their culture. And it was the same in first century Palestine. In Jesus' day, towns were, were small enough that if, if you didn't have bread in your own home, there was a good chance that you knew which neighbor spent the day baking that day. So it wasn't like, like somebody was on one end of the Conejo Valley and showed up and you lived on the other end of the Conejo Valley and you had to travel all this way. It was, it was like a small enough community that they knew what one another were doing. And so if a neighbor came to you in the middle of the night and you didn't have bread or you didn't have uh, the, the right type of bread or an ample amount of bread or, or a loaf that wasn't half eaten, you would know who spent the day baking that day. And that's the person that you would go and ask for some bread. The visitor in this parable wouldn't have just been a, a guest to the family. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. The, 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 the visitor isn't just a guest to the family, to the house where he's knocking. It's a guest to the entire community. The entire community would be responsible for for bringing bread to the the, the guest who's arriving. Now, there's a couple different ways to interpret Jesus' parable here. We could read it and think that God will respond to our prayers if we annoy him enough, right? Right? It's, it's the picture of a person banging on the door. Listen! Or maybe it's a comparison between the way humans respond to needs and the way that God responds to needs. In other words, if neighbors respond to one another's needs when pressed hard enough, surely God would go above and beyond what humans do. But there's a third way. And it's a a way that uh, a scholar named Kenneth Bailey highlights. It all hinges on this phrase, shameless audacity. Shameless audacity. Now, some translate that Greek word to be persistence, but it can also mean avoiding shame. Avoiding shame. In the first century Palestinian mind, those two concepts were connected. 
Persistence and avoiding shame were connected to one another. If we connect the two, we see a man responding to a neighbor's need in order to avoid the shame of living outside of his character. Living outside of what's expected of him. So in this interpretation, God will always do what is honorable, what is consistent with God's character. Now, those of us who have been around children leading up to a a birthday or or up to, to Christmas have seen the back and forth of a child changing their mind about presents and parties. How many of you have witnessed that? Right? One day it's one thing. The second day it's something else. The third day, it's something completely different, right? It goes from a a baseball party to a clown party to a race car party back to a race party or back to a clown party. And then before you know it, you're you're just going, you're not having a party because they don't want to have a party. (laughs) One day it's one thing, one thing, one day it's next, then it's something else. As they vacillate back and forth, parents and grandparents begin to see what a child really wants. We begin to see what's most important to that child. Sometimes through prodding, we have to ask questions. Well, why do you want so-and-so there? Well, why do you want this present? In the same way with being persistent in prayer, when we pray one way, then another, then another, as we, we pray God would begin to help us in this way and that way and this way, we begin to see not just what's most important to us, but we begin to align our hearts and minds with what God thinks is most important. We find clarity through persistence in prayer. The second parable that Jesus tells is, is more of a question. It's a question I think of every time my son goes even a minute too long without food. When hangry Thomas shows up, everyone around him knows. You have probably seen, if you've been out on the courtyard too long, you've probably seen hangry Thomas. I asked him if I could share this, by the way. Jesus says, when your child asks you for fish or eggs, how many of you dads would give them a snake or a scorpion instead? Again, Jesus' Jesus's point isn't about getting what we want here. Sometimes this passage is twisted to imply that, but that's, that's not what Jesus is getting towards here. It's about the character of God. The character of the one who knows our needs better than we do. It's the reminder that God holds the whole world in his hands and is always working, doing what is best for us, we, even when we don't know what is best for us. Psalm 84 reminds us that God doesn't hold back when it comes to giving us what we, what we truly need. And it's also a reminder of what it looks like to consistently or, or persistently put ourselves in the presence of of God. I love the way that verses 10 through 12 are translated in the message. One day spent in your house, this beautiful place of worship beats thousands spent on Greek island beaches. I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than be honored as a guest in the palace of sin. All sunshine and sovereign is God, generous in gifts and glory. 
He doesn't scrimp with his traveling companions. It's smooth sailing all the way with God of the angel armies. And we talk a lot about journeying here at at WPC and um, this idea that God doesn't scrimp with his traveling companions sticks with me. We, We are persistent in prayer to align our hearts and minds with what God has for the world. So last Sunday, I left us with a a church-wide challenge of sorts around centering prayer, encouraging us to find three times throughout the day to pray. Aubrey gave you a challenge earlier to to go home and and, and look at the Lord's Prayer and kind of write it out for yourself. I'd encourage you to do that as well. But this week, I also want to leave us with an invitation to be praying for others. I want to invite us to to follow the model of my intercessor friends in Malawi. So, Mike, tonight you're up all night praying. (laughs) You're awake. That's a good thing. So, um, I'm joking. We're not going to be staying up all night praying. I'm not asking you to do that. But what what I mean is is I'd invite us to, to spend some intentional time aligning our hearts and minds with what God has for the world of, of being intentional with opening our eyes and ears to the needs that we see around us. And so I'm going to invite us to, to, to all take part in, in, in a prayer walk or a prayer drive. It, it doesn't have to be a, a walk. And it's, it's, it's pretty simple. It starts with just stepping outside. Step outside of your house. Notice your neighborhood outside of your normal routine. Maybe drive home uh, on your way home from church today. Drive a different way. Drive a different way to see, to, to see different needs. Pay attention to the needs that you see around us. Step outside of your normal routine. And then start with a breath prayer or a centering prayer, what we talked about last week. Something like, God, show us your grace. God, Grant us peace. Pay attention to your surroundings, asking God to to open your eyes to the needs of your neighbors. Again, sometimes we don't see them because we get stuck in our routines of just going the the same speed, going the same direction. But what does it look like for us to pay attention to the needs of our neighbors? And then lift up whoever is placed on your heart. Now, I'm sure there's, there's people in each of our families that we could be praying for. If they're placed on your heart while you're walking through the neighborhood, pray for them. If they're placed on your heart while, while you're walking home, pray for them. If they're placed on your heart as we conclude in prayer this morning, pray for them. And then end with this, this simple but profound part of the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. I, I, I've mentioned that praying for others is how we align our heart and mind with what God has for the world. And the ultimate prayer for that is, God, we have all of these needs. We're concerned. We see all the hurt. We see all the pain. We are hurting. Family members are hurting. But we know that you have what's best, even when we don't get it. And so, God, help us to accept your will. Thy will be done. So I'd encourage us to, to commit to some sort of prayer walk, prayer drive, something this week, where we are, are paying attention and, and consciously lifting up the needs of our neighbors and world. Let's pray.
Holy God, we, we long to align our hearts and minds with you. Lord, with what you have for us, what you have for our families, what you have for our neighbors, what you have for this world. God, help us to be a church who is persistent in prayer, trusting that you'll respond in a way that is, is consistent with your character. As we lift up the needs of our neighbors, both those whose needs are readily apparent and those who aren't. May we remember that you hold us all in your hands. Lord, may we pray earnestly and honestly that your will be done in our lives and in this world. God, we pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.